how the sermon ended last week. You remember the verse? Psalm 27, verse 14. Wait for the Lord, right? And after you preach Psalm 27, you have to preach Psalm 40. I mean, when a psalm ends like that, the only thing you can do is go to Psalm 40 after that. You heard me read the text, Psalm 40. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. So what do we, what's implied from, from that sentence? I waited patiently for the Lord. What's, what's implied? Much time has passed, right? Much time has passed. So who can define the word time for me? It's a time we intuitively, it's a word we intuitively know. We use it all the time. How do you define it? It's a bit of a challenge. I looked it up. A non-spatial continuum in which events occur in apparently irreversible succession. That's what you were going to say, right, Willie? Okay, that's what Willie had. He's a little shy, but that's, that's what he had. So I'm going to ask you, how have you been managing your non-spatial, how is it, continuum? You know your whole life's a stewardship, right? Your whole life before God is a stewardship. You will give an account to your Creator. Time is a gift to you. I know we don't value it very much in, in reality. We, we think that other things are, are more important, but you know, your life is time. Time is God's gift to you. And we will all give an account of how we have spent these days. I saw a TV documentary some years ago, and it was talking about the, the, the one single invention that changed modern life more than any other. Who wants to guess? Jenny Love probably knows. You, you probably heard me use this illustration. It's the wristwatch. The wristwatch. It fundamentally changed the pace of modern life. For the first time, man knew what time it was. For the first time, man knew how much time he'd lost and how little time he had left. And the, the pace of modern life dramatically increased. We learned to live in a hurry. And you guys know, everything's fast now. Everything's fast. There's not anything that's not fast, except maybe the 45 minutes we spend in here, right? But everything in the world is fast. And everybody wants it fast. Even, hey, in the church these days, people want fast food theology, you know, drive-through spirituality. I mean, that's just where we are. It doesn't really matter what it is. We want it fast. We want it now. And we only have so much time for God in our busy, busy lives. Right? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm asking you to examine your life. Oh, He made you. He created you. He designed you. He sustained you. But you don't have any time for Him. You, don't have, you can't squeeze God in. I don't have time for Yahweh. I can't squeeze Him in. How does God say it? Psalm 46.10, you heard me read it. You heard me read it to open up the, the service. God says, hurry up and know that I am God. Right? 
No. What does he say? Be still. And I'm just going to challenge some of you. Are you taking time to be still and hear your Creator? You don't hear Him unless you make time to be still. A lot of people say to me, as a pastor, you can imagine, Jim, I'm not hearing God. Well, I say, oh, okay. Well, let me ask you this. How much time are you giving to hear God? How much of your non-spatial continuum are you giving to hear God? The literal Hebrew there in Psalm 46.10 is desist and know. Desist and know that I am God. You can't come to God, the everlasting to everlasting, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You don't get to come to this God on your time schedule. You can't squeeze Him in between appointments. What does 2 Peter say? This is the God for whom a thousand years is as one day. He's not on your time schedule. God does whatever He pleases whenever He pleases. <laughs> not when you please, when He pleases. You know, I, I, I see this. I, I've seen this a lot. You know, there's just this complete arrogance before God that He should meet my schedule. <laughs> I mean, who do we think we are that God should meet my schedule? God doesn't care about your schedule. He does care about you making time to know Him. He does care about that. So if you want to know God, you're going to have to invest some time. It's not going to be, I want it fast and I want it now. God does not ever work that way. He never works that way. We must be still. And here's the deal. You guys know this. Some of you guys that are, have reached a couple of years of age, God has a way of making us still. I can't tell you how many times I've been in the hospital visiting people, talking to people, and I say, I've heard it so many times, they'll inevitably say, the Lord has caused me to be still so I can hear Him. It's your choice. <laughs> it's your choice. Will you be still now? Will you be still now out of choice to know God and to grow in your relationship with Him. This text, and I'll get into it in a minute, but first I want to tell this story, this Old Testament story. You guys know uh, the Old Testament story of Joseph who ended up in a pit, right? David uses this word in verse 2 of Psalm 40. He talks about the pit. Now, Joseph's in a pit. Why is Joseph in a pit? Well, Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob. And all of his other brothers knew he was the favorite, and they hated him for it. One day Jacob said to Joseph, go check on your brothers. They're out tending the flocks. Go check on them. The brothers saw him coming from a distance, and they decided to kill him. They hated him this much. They hated him this much that they decided to kill him. And, thought, and so what they thought they would do at first is throw him in a pit, and that they would kill him later. But then Judah had an idea. One of the brothers, he had an idea. He said, why should we kill the boy? Why don't we sell him 
as a slave and at least get the money. So that is exactly what they did. So how many of you know Joseph was in a literal pit, then he was in the pit of slavery, and then he was in the pit of prison. How many of you know how long this all lasted? I know some of you do. 13 years. 13 years. I had a young man some years ago sitting in front of me, and he was really exercised, right? Why hasn't God done something about my problem? Why doesn't God show up? Why doesn't God perform? Where's God? And I asked him, I said, do you know the story of Joseph? He said, yeah, I know the story. I said, do you know how long Joseph was in the pit? Literal and metaphorical. Do you know how long he was in the pit? He said, no. I said, go read it, come back, and we'll talk. He came back and he told me, 13 years. And I said, well, how long have you waited on God? About 90 days. Beloved, the Alpha and the Omega does not operate on your schedule or mine. And the sooner we get some humility before God about time, about our non-spatial continuum, the better off we will be 13 years for Joseph, 13 years in the pit. Sometimes God will leave us in the trial that we may learn to hear him. So don't bemoan the trial. Don't bemoan the pit. We talked a little bit about it last week. If the trial is here, God is here. Because Romans 8.28 is true. Now, you, you guys know Romans 8.28. Now, if you call yourself a Christian, I know you should know Romans 8.28. I cite it frequently. Let me just read it to you instead of just paraphrasing it. Listen to what Paul says. He says, we think. No, no, no. He says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, those called according to his purpose. And then, of course, Romans 8, 29 says, all of this is to bring us into conformity with Christ, which is God's major uh, objective in your life. It's not that you'll have health, wealth, and prosperity and everything will go well with you. That's not God's major concern. God, if you are His, He will bring you into conformity with His Son. What does that mean? It means holiness. It means sanctification. It means learning a little patience. It means a whole lot of things. Thirteen years is nothing to Jehovah, beloved. It is nothing to the ancient of days. God will never be distracted with your temporal happiness. I love to say this because it's true. You'll never be distracted with your temporal happiness. He's doing something way bigger. He was preparing Joseph to be vice president of Egypt. Now, I don't think any of us will ever be vice president of Egypt. That's not the point. The point is, if you're in the hard place, God is preparing you for what's next. Okay? This is very important for us to understand so let's go back through the text again. Psalm 40, if you have a Bible or electronic device, 
David says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard me. And he brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm, and he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this verse. He says, he puts these words in David's mouth. David says, I waited and I waited and I waited for God. Amen? Some of you know exactly how that feels. The literal Hebrew here is, and I love this, the literal Hebrew is, Hebrew is beautiful here. David is saying, I have diligently expected God. Okay, this is a big deal. I know when it's hard, we just want to feel sorry for ourselves. But David is saying it's hard, but I will eagerly anticipate God, right? I will diligently expect Jehovah. That's what David is saying. Is that how it is with you when it's hard for you? I know it's hard, and we offer up this burden to God. But beloved, we walk in expectancy, right? We get it right. I diligently expect God to show up. It may be 13 years from now. It may be 20. It may be 40. It may be on my deathbed. Beloved, can I say something to you as an old man? God is worth waiting for. I've been through some hard stuff. He has always come to me. Always come to me. He's, he's worth waiting for. He is worth waiting for. David says, this is not just about waiting. It's about expecting. It's not just about waiting. It's about expecting. It's about expecting an almighty God to do what only an almighty God can do in my circumstance. Verse 1, God inclined to me and he heard me. Verse 2, he brought me up out of the pit. Verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, right? <laughs> in the pit, God means to teach you a new song. A new song of praise to God. My God is so faithful, even in the pit. He's faithful in the pit. And unbelievers around you are supposed to hear this song and go, wow. Look at Jenny loves God. Look how she loves her God. Look how she trusts her God. You know, you know the definition of faith, right? It's, it's, it's not that I believe some stuff. It's that I trust God. I trust God to work in the 13-year trial, to work in the 13-year pit. I trust God. And it's a new song God puts in my mouth, and I will sing it, and unbelievers will hear it. It's the thing I loved about Karen when she was going through cancer, man. She was praising God and all the unbelievers around her watched her praise God in the cancer, right? That's what the cancer's about. Praise God. It's what the financial trials is about. It's about what losing your job is about. God's enough. God is enough. Look what he says about the result of the trial. He says, many around me, they will see, they will fear, and they will trust God. 
because of the trial I'm going through and how I honor God in it, they will see it. So if you're a believer, true believer, the pit, the trial, the tribulation, the setback, the disappointment, the betrayal, the illness, the loss, the trauma, the heartache is not only changing you, it's advanced evangelism, it's changing everybody around you as you honor Christ in it, as you praise Christ in the cancer. You know, I've seen a lot of Christians go through trials and they just fall away. They, they say, well, if God's not going to perform for me any better than that, I don't, I'm not interested. I mean, it happens every day. It happens all the time. You, you guys can read. You guys surf the Internet. You watch pastors walk away sometimes. Joshua Harris last year, he just walked away. Mega pastor. He just walks away. God wasn't performing adequately for him. Well, can I tell you something? God never means to perform up to your standards. God will perform up to his standards. And his standards are way bigger than your standards. You know, we have this earthbound view. God has a forever and eternal kind of view. David says, I diligently expect Jehovah. I expect Romans 8, 28. I expect it. It's hard, but I expect it. I expect it. Again, beloved, it's our opportunity for evangelism to make much of Jesus in the hard place. You remember Joseph, right? He was still in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. And you remember what Joseph said. Joseph said, how could I sin against my God like this? Now, we know how it is, right? When you're in a hard place... You want to feel sorry for yourself, and the next thing you do is rationalize. Am I wrong? I'm feeling sorry for myself. I feel alone. I'm hurt. You know, it's been a hard time, and I have this opportunity to sin and relieve my pain. Most men will rationalize in that circumstance. But Joseph said, I'm in this pit. This is for the glory of God. I will not dishonor God like this. And even, you know, when he, when he uh, gave the interpretation of the dreams, right? What did he do? He never took the glory for himself. He always gave it to God. He's still in the pit, unjustly, in the pit. And all he can say is, this is for the glory of God. It's not about me, it's about God. Can you say that? Do you claim to be a Christian? Can you talk like that in the hard place? This is not about Jim Albright. This is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love him through this. I'm going to love him through this. And he'll bring me through it. I know that he is a faithful God. Joseph was in the pit. But he had expectancy. This is the key. Do you diligently expect Jehovah to really come to you? That's what David is talking about. Look at verse 4 and 5. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust. There it is right there. Trust. Do you trust him? And has not turned to the proud, nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which you have done. And your thoughts toward us, there is none to compare with you. 
If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Verse 4, how blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust. We talked about this last week. What does it mean to be blessed? It means to be happy. He's in the pit, but he's happy. (laughs) Why is he happy? Because his real problems have been taken care of. His real problems, which is, you know, sin, death, and hell, it's all been handled. Listen, when you're in the pit, man, you've got to remember that God has handled your real problems, your cosmic problems, your eternal problems. All of this is transitory. It will be over, you know, bam, it's over. As compared to eternity, we live, as the text says, as the Bible says, as merely a vapor upon the earth. And I want to say this, I love to say this. Please hear me say this. Circumstance does not dictate my view of God. My view of God dictates my view of circumstance. Can you say it? Can you live it? I love that, I love that, that phrase. I think it's urgently important that we understand it. David says, I have diligently expected God. I have diligently expected Him. That last phrase there in verse 4, we don't trust in the ways and the wisdom of the world, meaning the the, the proud or in, in falsehood. We trust in God. We trust in Him. Verse 5, David breaks into a mini doxology, meaning praise and worship. He's praising God for the wonders of creation. But then he says something so beautiful, and I love it, and I think we touched on it last week, right? God's thoughts toward us. If you're His tonight, right? (laughs) He's loved you as 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 long as He's been God. He's loved you. Now, to me, that should bring some perspective. Is it hard right now and you're feeling sorry for yourself? But wait a minute. As long as God's been God, He's loved me. And the thoughts of God toward me are too numerous to count, David says. Not only does he love you, he thinks about you. Not only does he think about you, he sustains you. He's going to make your heart beat one more time. He's going to make your brain fire one more time. Until he does it. Your brain will fire until it does it. Your life is a gift. Are you thankful Or do you just whine all the time? I have to tell you, beloved, I hear a lot of whining, right? A lot of whining. Why are we whining if we're Christians? Our biggest problem has been resolved. And all of this, this is minutia. It doesn't always feel like minutia. I understand it. I've been through some hard stuff. I get it. But in the big scheme, in the big scope, it is minutia. David is contemplating all the thoughts of God toward him. I, I, I challenge you <laughs> to engage in that valuable exercise. Verse 6 through 8. Sacrifice and meal offerings you have not desired. My ears you have opened, burnt offerings 
and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will. O my God, your law is within my heart. We see this over and over again in the Bible. God's repudiation of just ritualistic religion. You know, it's not something you often hear a preacher say, but I say it every once in a while. You know, if Christianity is just ritual to you, you shouldn't come. It offends God. If you're just here, you know, taking up a chair, but you don't really love him, you really shouldn't come. Now, if you're genuinely seeking him and you don't know how to love him yet, yeah, come on and come on, come. Yeah, come and listen. Come and be a part. Come and cry out to God for the salvation of your, of your soul. But, you know, if uh, this is just ritualistic tradition to you, if it's heart dead, brain dead, you should not come here. This is offensive to God. This time in the, in the life of the church is for his people together and love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is not a lecture. I'm not a life coach. I'm a preacher who preaches the word of God. And God means for you to hear it. And then he means for you to do it. And this is what David in part is saying, you know, he said, man, you're not really all you're not into all this religion. Listen, look at what he says in verse 8. But I delight to do your will. Your law is within my heart. I delight in it. That's what God wants. Do you delight in God? Do you delight in who he is? Do you delight in his word? Do you delight in the call that he's given you? Do you delight in the gift of life he's given you? That you might use it for the glory of God. Yeah. It's pretty important. I, I, want, I just want to share this aside. This is an aside. I, I just remember reading through Amos. Uh, the first time I read through the Bible as a converted man at the age of 28, um, I hit Amos 5, 21 and 23. God says, I hate your festivals. I reject them. I won't delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will not look at your peace offerings of your fatlings. Take them away from me. Uh, the noise of your songs, I will not listen to them. I hate religion, God says over and over and over again. What I want is a relationship with you. Now, if you only want to do religion, don't waste my time. That's between the lines. If you're only interested in religion, don't waste my time. That's what he said to the Old Testament Jews. In fact, if you go over to, over to Malachi in chapter 1, God just says, shut the door, lock it up. I'm not interested in what you do. Here. I'm not interested in your legalism. I'm not interested in your heart dead, brain dead stuff. You guys remember how Jesus condemned, you know, his harshest words to, were to the religious men and women of his day, right? Over in Matthew chapter 23, when he hammered the Pharisees, he said, woe unto you, eight times, woe unto you, woe unto you, woe unto you, you sons of hell. This is in part what David is talking about. 
it's not about religion. It is always about relationship. Look at the words there. Delight and heart. Verse 8, I delight and this is within my heart. That's true, biblical, God-honoring Christianity. So here's the deal. You know, you can't fake it. You can't fake the real thing. You either love God or you don't. You treasure and adore Him or you don't. He's your ultimate, light, ultimate delight or He is not. Verses 9 and 10. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the, in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips. O Lord, you know I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I, it's not, do you hear? I'm not hiding this away. It's public knowledge that I love you. Okay? Listen to me. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I'm out in the world and I'm telling it. I'm not a secret agent Christian. I'm telling it. He goes on, I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. David says, man, this is on my tongue. It's in my life. It's who I am. I will not restrain my lips, David says. And you know why you're still here if you're a Christian, right? You know why you're here. I tell you all the time. It's quite simple. It's the last chapter of Matthew. Whatever, I forget what, what chapter is that. It's the last one. And Jesus says, the Great Commission, Jesus says, go be my witnesses. That's the only job you have. Ultimately, be a witness. And if you're not a witness you got to talk to God about it, man, right? you got to talk to God about it. It's the only reason he's left you on the planet. It would be way better to be with God. I know I say it all the time, but I can't help it. To live as Christ, to die as gain. So why, why would I want to continue to walk the planet when I could be in the presence of beautiful, awesome, breathtaking, enthralling God? We've been left here to do something. David says, I will not restrain my lips. Is that how it is with you and God? Is that how it is? The last phrase here in verse 9, David says, Oh Lord, you know, right? You know. <laughs> you know who I am. You know who I am in my heart. You know. You know. By the way, it's Matthew 28, verse 19, where Jesus gives the great commission. Verses 11 and 12. You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me, your loving kindness, and your truth will continually preserve me. For evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed me. David says, the Lord will not withhold his compassion and his loving kindness. But David, did you notice in verse 12, he says, I am a great sinner, and so are you, right? You know that about yourself. You're a great sinner. There's never not been a great sinner, except Jesus Christ himself. The apostle Paul was a great sinner. Every true Christian who's biblically literate understands they're a great sinner. And David is confessing, confessing his sin here. He's a great sinner, but he has a great Savior. 
Look, verse 11, he has a great Savior. The Lord will not withhold his compassion from me. And his loving kindness and his truth will preserve me. It's what I was saying. Your biggest problem has been handled if you are in Christ tonight. Please, beloved, I'm asking you to get some perspective. If you're a whiner, I'm going to say tonight, stop being a whiner. This does not honor God that we should be whiners. It's really hard for David. And listen to all this worship that's going on, right? <laughs> He's in the pit, man. <laughs> but all this worship is going up to God. We know, what the, we know what David says over in Psalm 103. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, you have removed my sin from me. My biggest problem has been handled. Lord, I will not be a whiner anymore. I will rejoice in the pit because it's your sovereign will that I be here. You're changing me. Romans 8.28 is true. Romans 8.29 is true. I'll preach myself. I'll keep preaching to myself all the way through the pit until you bring me out. I know you're going to bring me out. You will bring me out. And I will patiently wait for you to bring me out. I love it. It's beautiful. 13 through 15. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste, O Lord, to help me. Of course, he's praying. He's praying what God has promised. We talked about this last week. Let those be ashamed and humiliated together who seek my life to destroy it. Let those be turned back and dishonored who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha. How many of you knew aha was in the Bible? It's in the Bible. I think three times. Aha. You know what I'm talking about. You guys have people in your life that like to say, aha. So we saw this last week. Again, David is praying for what God has already promised. David delights, pardon me, God delights to hear our, our prayer. Proverbs 15, 8, God says, the prayer of the upright is my delight. Are you delighting God? Are you making time to be still with God? Are you making time to talk to God? And as I tell you all the time and remind you, prayer is not simply, you know, a list of things you want God to do. In fact, that's the lowest common denominator as far as prayer is concerned. Much of prayer is being still and listening. Open hands. I'm not hanging on to anything. Do your will, God. Do your will in my husband's life. Do your will in my child's life. Do your will at work. Do your will in my finances. Do your will in the pandemic. This is prayer. In my view. This is mature prayer. And I just want to say this, verse 14, 15 here. David prays that his enemies, as I said last week, who are the enemies of God by default, the enemies of God's people are the enemies of God. They will be ashamed, humiliated, turned back, dishonored, and appalled in all of their shame. 
Such would be the result for all who are the enemies of God. But for those who seek the Lord, verse 16, let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. He's in the pit. And what is he saying? He's like Joseph. He's in the pit 13 years in. The Lord be magnified, right? The Lord be magnified. Can you say that? This is where mature Christians come, right? And if you come to me, man, okay, I'm going to let you whine for a little bit. I let people whine for just a little bit. And then I say, you know, most of this is your fault. Almost all the time. Almost all the time, we get ourselves in a situation that bites us. It's almost always our fault. But even if it's not, I'll let you whine for a little bit, and then I'm going to say, you know what? We need to go to Psalm 40. We need to put down all this whining. We need to let God be God in our life, right? Stop dictating to God and stop and start submitting to God. Verse 17. Since I am afflicted and needy, let the Lord be mindful of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. He is afflicted and needy. He's still in the pit. But look what he's been doing. He's been praying. He's been praising. He's been worshiping. It's like you, right? That's what you do. That's what we should be doing, beloved. This is the word of God. David implores God to not delay his deliverance. I love this. As one theologian said, God has set limits on your sorrows. Okay, and he's, you know, that one psalm, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but, you know, it talks about your tears are in a bottle. He's collected all your tears in a bottle. They are precious to him. There's no wasted pain as a Christian, right? No wasted pain. God's in the middle of it. God is doing an amazing thing. So you get back to Joseph. God was taking an imprudent shepherd boy, and he was going to make him vice president of Egypt. It took 13 years and then God did this amazing thing through Joseph, right? He not only changed Joseph, but he revealed his greatness to a pagan people of Egypt through Joseph. And God worked a great deliverance of his chosen people during the famine. God was doing a huge thing. Listen, stop whining and start expecting God to do a huge thing ultimately, and you may not see it in your lifetime. Do you have to see it or do you trust God? You know, <laughs> do you have to see it or do you trust God? Beloved, if you belong to Christ, if you know Him and if you love Him and you find yourself in a pit, I'm going to challenge you to remember Psalm 40. I'm going to challenge you to be Patient, and I'm going to challenge you with what David said in the literal Hebrew, that you will diligently expect Jehovah. That's the challenge for you and me, I think, from our text tonight. When you get in the hard place, 
I want you to remember that it's not about you. It is about Jesus. But here's the beautiful thing. It's not, you're not irrelevant. This is one thing I love about the Bible. You're not irrelevant. God makes you just the right size. Right? The universe is about him. It's not about you. Praise God. It's not about you. But you're not irrelevant. And he loves you. And he's doing a good thing. Right? And you're just the right size. You don't think too much of yourself. And you don't think too little of yourself. You're just the right size in the word of God. If you're in the word of God, you're just the right size. I love this. I'm going to close with a quote. It's one of my favorite quotes. So I want you to listen. Give me, give me your heads up just for a few minutes. Uh, David Pallison is a Christian uh, teacher in the States. I think he just died. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure I heard about this. And he asked this question, how does God's grace engage in your suffering? How does God's grace engage in your suffering? Listen to this. I love these words. When we enter the trial, what do you want? You want a quick fix, right? You, you want a quick fix. But God, listen to this, but God sets about to give you the long, slow answer. That's what you can expect from God, the long, slow answer. I love this, right? God's answer insists on changing you into a different kind of person. God will surprise you. He will make you stop. You will struggle. He will bring you up short. You will hurt. He will take his time. You will grow in faith and love. He will deeply delight you. You will find the process harder than you ever imagined, but way better. This is how God works. This is a man who went through a lot of trials. I won't get into it. He closes like this. We need to feel the weight and significance of God. He never disappoints, although he wisely sets about to disappoint your false hopes. He'll dash every one of your false hopes. He'll do it. Why? Because he loves you. He won't allow you to pursue false hopes. He, he means to be your hope, right? Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, goodness and mercy follow you. God's voice speaks deeper than what hurts, brighter than what is dark, more enduring than what is lost, truer than what has happened. Your faith grows up. I think I'm going to title the sermon grown-up faith. Your faith grows up. It's what you see in Psalm 40. David's faith is growing up. So, I pray you don't forget Psalm 40. I pray I don't forget Psalm 40. Let's pray together.